Hi, welcome to episode three of Breakout Culture. I'm Ed Vasey, the culture editor of Country and Townhouse magazine. And I'm Charlotte Metcalf, and I'm the associate editor at the magazine. Charlotte said she'd keep us up to date about museums and major art galleries opening each week. Well, the Turner Contemporary opens in Margate on Wednesday, but sadly, there are still a lot of museums shut till next week. Though next Monday, all the Tates are due to open across the country. Meanwhile, we'll be looking at other places to see art, like Salisbury Cathedral, and another fun place to visit this summer is going to be Ashridge House in Hertfordshire, the former royal residence of Henry VII, which is hosting a show of work by the Rolling Stone Ronnie Wood in August. The show is a sellout. Keep an eye on the website because there may be additional tickets. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned the Anish Kapoor exhibition at Houghton Hall, and last Friday, I went to Norfolk to see it. Well, as all our regular listeners will know, Ed is mad about Houghton and has been ever since he went there as cultural I'm minister. I'm wild about it. And <laughs> was assigned Robert Walpole's bedroom. He's dying to tell us about Anish Kapoor's exhibition, but we're actually lucky enough to have the Marquis of Chumley himself with us today to tell us how he's transformed his home into an extraordinary exhibition space for artists. Hello, David. Hello, hello. Very good to be with you. Thank you so much. But it's lovely to have you. David, I went up to uh, my second visit to Houghton because my first visit was, of course, when um, you had the extraordinary collection returned temporarily from the Hermitage. Great act, of, great act of faith by the Russian government on the basis that they assumed you would give it back, which you did. Uh, <laughs> but I love that exhibition. And I went up uh, a couple of weeks ago to see the Anish Kapoor exhibition, which is mainly in the grounds of the house, obviously, because we're talking about eight ton sculptures. But before we talk about this, this is your, I think, second major exhibition, because I think you've done Damien Hirst before. It's becoming a habit, isn't it? Well, we've done, we, we, we actually, uh, after the Russian show, we, uh, the next year, we had James Turrell here, the light artist, and we already had one or two pieces in the grounds. Um, and uh, he did an extraordinary projection on the uh, facade of the house, which you could see at dusk, really. That was the, the time to see it. So for an hour at dusk, we had a very slowly changing um, light experience, which was amazing. And a lot of other pieces as well in different rooms and, and places in the grounds. And then we went on to Richard Long. Um, also, we have some permanent works here. And that was a, a, a beautiful show, really. Um, Damien the next year and Henry Moore last year. So it's actually our fifth show, this fifth, fifth contemporary contemporary show. That's fantastic. Yes, in fact, there is a Tyrell uh, Skyrim still in the grounds, which I went to visit when I was touring the Anish Kapoor and also Richard Long uh, as well. And the centerpiece of the Anish Kapoor is, of course, this extraordinary mirrored disc, an enormous circular mirror at an angle which reflects the clouds. It's absolutely wonderful. And I just wondered whether you had sort of co-produced the sculptures with Anish Kapoor. Did he make them for the show or were they just fished from the back of his wardrobe? <laughs> Most, well, well, all are, uh, were um, already made and had some of them have been shown before, some haven't. Um, so they span a, a, a you know, quite a long period, uh, starting with the um, pigment works in one of the galleries spaces. Um, so and and then really coming up to the present day, and I think the the um, sky mirror has been shown 
two or three times. So, in fact, we 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 rather persuaded him to include that, and it's become the star of the show, rather. Well, it is absolutely magnificent because it sits in the middle of the avenue and um, dominates the landscape, but is also extraordinarily sort of calming and relaxing Isn't to look it? at. One is immediately sort of drawn to it. Several of the pieces were quite last minute. In fact, the room of... of um, Pigment works was quite a last minute addition. It really was going to be mostly the the stone works um the the um group of um ten or eleven stone works outside and one in the stone hall and what made you decide to go down this road of having these wonderful exhibitions? I know that Chatsworth, for example, has got quite a reputation now for showing contemporary sculpture, and I think Blenheim to a certain extent does yes. It. Chatsworth started off really with a selling show every year with Sotheby's and they have had one or two others, uh, um, um, Michael Craig Martin and, 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 and I think one or two others um, since, but it, it started really as, as um, commercial shows. And Blenheim is, is mostly inside the house. I think it's, they, they, they mix things with their permanent collection and in, in the rooms. Um, so it's a bit different, and we we really concentrate on on outside, um, but with one or two things in the house as well. And it must draw an extraordinary amount of visitors. I think visitors to stately homes, which is Charlotte's obsession. I think they <laughs> love the juxtaposition of the heritage and the contemporary. I, well, it is very different from seeing things in a in a white gallery space a modern modern gallery space or or, or or museum it is it is a different experience and it's it's not the only experience but it's interesting i think and and this uh, talking of uh, the the um dialogue uh, between the the old and the new yes i heard uh, uh, uh you and anish kapoor on radio 4 actually and um the the journalist was saying just how absolutely fantastic that that juxtaposition was of of the house with this this monumental sculpture it's just uh, i mean it's a it's a wonderful thing to be doing and more and more houses seem to be doing it are you going to carry on doing it i mean i know this has had a hiccup <laughs> because of lockdown yes well we do when we can really and and and, and when a when a show is possible we don't have to we're not we're not a museum and we can actually react very quickly if something comes available a show becomes available and we're able to do it we we don't need that long um so long as we can get some sponsorship for it because we always need need a bit of help with the finances it's uh they're expensive shows to put on you can imagine the the um installation these well, I can't. Pieces. I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> what did it take to install the 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 really big Anish Kapoor? Well, you had to reinforce part of the garden. <laughs> yes, you have to put concrete bases that you can prepare, but then you you need huge cranes, um, and if it's bad weather, they can get bogged down. You have to have tracking all over the the grounds um, to get them in, and you sometimes take trees down. It's it's a big big job, depending on where where we're placing things. And the weight, I mean, the Sky Mirror um, weighs about 10 tonnes. Um, Gosh. And actually, Damien Hurst's things were, were, were huge and, and, and uh, very heavy. Presumably, you'll keep, you'll keep one of the sculptures at the end, will you? <laughs> well, we, we, we do like to be able to borrow, if possible, from, from an artist or, or a gallery. Um, and if, if it's possible, that would, be, that would be wonderful. But it's certainly not something we, we 
expect necessarily. I think you need to leave a trace element of each exhibition. <laughs> well, we have a lovely Henry Moore from the show last year, which the found Henry Moore Foundation has left us for, for a time. And that's really, really nice as a memory of the of the show as well. So, David, just for our listeners, is the exhibition now officially open? Because I know Ed rather sneaked in on a press preview. So he was so keen to see it. <laughs> but, but is it now open to everybody? Yes, we're, we're, we're open five days a week till the um, 1st of November. Um, pre-booking necessary because of the, the um, pandemic. Um but otherwise, yes, and we um, very much open. It's the most wonderful house as well. And I gather that when Walpole was building it, he moved an entire village uh, that was spoiling the view. And then I was talking to my mum, who's read a bit of the history of Houghton, who came with me to the exhibition, actually, who said that um, every hunting season, at the end of every hunting season, Walpole would send back 6,000 bottles of wine to London to be, to be recycled. That's a very good figure. That's, I think that is right. <laughs> and we have the sort of the numbers of candles they used on a, on, for, for their parties in the, in the autumn. Yeah, they had sort of political parties planning the session of par- the next session of Parliament. So they'd hunt in the day and they'd, they'd um, eat and drink and discuss it in, in the evening. I wonder if it's, it's still like that at Chequers. <laughs> <laughs> no, without the hunting, without may the, well without be getting back to those yes. those days. So, David, can you come and see the Anish Kapoor and see the house as well on the same sort of day ticket? Yes, of course. Yes, I mean you can c- come and just see the, the the garden, the walled garden, or you can um, get a ticket for, for for that and and the show. But most people, of course, are coming to see the show this year. And the rooms, I should say that most of the state rooms are are closed, um, which they would, and this is really because of the pandemic and the difficulty of going through some of them are are quite narrow. So we've had to close most of the state rooms, which are normally open. I wonder if Robert Walpole would have worn a mask. (laughs) (laughs) Was Anish Kapoor thrilled with it, do you think, the the whole staging of it? He seemed very happy. Yes, I think he he is. And, and, uh, well, he, of course, placed or helped place most of the pieces, so he knew... Um, you know what, what everything that was happening, um, but he seemed he went away happy man. I think I hope, <laughs> <laughs> and we're we're delighted. I mean, we're so grateful to him for for allowing us to show his work here. Terrific! Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much, David. Very Thank good. you. So now, staying on the subject of art, we want to turn to the National Gallery, which is Britain's most important art collection, and it was in fact the first to open after. Lockdown. Today, we are honoured to be joined by Tony Hall. In the cultural world, of course, he's a gigantic figure, having, uh, well, still the Director General of the BBC, but stepping down shortly, former Chief Executive of the Royal Opera House, Tony Hall, Lord Hall of Birkenhead. So welcome, Tony. Thanks, Ed. Good to hear you. And Charlotte too. And a very warm welcome to you, Tony. And as our listeners will no doubt know, you're in the process of taking up your role as chair of the National Gallery. So we can't wait to hear about your vision. But I wanted to start by asking you about the very publicised remark you made when your role was announced. You said that the National Gallery houses the greatest collection of paintings, not just in Britain, but in the world. Uh, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, well, it's it's um, it's not the largest collection in the world, um, but it's a beautifully balanced uh, collection 
um, and of of Western European uh, art. And um, I think you you see the history of of, of art when you walk around um, the floors of the National Gallery. It's all laid out for you. And what is also great, which is is we're adding to the collection too. So um, as of reopening, there's a, a wonderful. Um, painting of by Sorolla of a, of a drunkard in a bath tavern um, uh, which is quite amazing and of course Artemisia Gentileschi we uh, added a self-portrait uh, with her as St Catherine uh, over the last couple of years and we added a, a, a painting by her by her father in December so it's a I think it's a beautifully balanced collection uh, and it's growing and the other thing which I, 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 I love about it since reopening you mentioned reopening we've got roots round three roots round the collection and uh, that's gone down phenomenally well with people coming in because I think it helps them to work out the route through the history of art. So what you have these kind of one-way streets that people have to follow, but they end up following effectively a, a wonderfully curated guided tour of the collection. Yeah, that's right. I think it's really interesting that in a way, maybe one of the lessons out of COVID and the crisis is that people do need more help with um, steering their, their way through uh, galleries and indeed museums and other places too than maybe we thought in the past. And, uh, you know, being told you go this way and you can see X and Y and Z and go this route and see that is, is people are finding really useful and helpful. I have to say, though, the thing which is really wonderful is to have the gallery open again. I, I, I went in uh, to see Gabriele, the, 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 the d- uh, director, um, about a week before uh, the reopening happened. And um, it was like... Um, in my time at the Royal Opera House, it was like you know, just before a show. It was just the sense of getting ready to be opened, get the public back in there. It was just palpable, the sense of, hooray, we're going to open again. And I think that the, one of the uh, really interesting strains, I think, on the gallery staff uh, through the whole crisis of, and, and being closed was that, of course, in the Second World War, uh, the National Gallery was open. Uh, there were concerts, but also a painting a month was there for people to go in at a time of real crisis and see. And I think the notion the National Gallery has been closed during this uh, COVID crisis and people can't just go in and see a painting and, and, and take all the sustenance they want from that or see more, of course, uh, I, I think has, 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 uh, has, has, has been an issue for, for many, many people, including myself. I think art should be there at times of big crisis for everybody to enjoy and, and get uh, sustenance from. I mean, we could take this uh, conversation in all sorts of directions, but I'll reveal a few of my hobby horses as we go. One thing I wanted to, I just wanted to, if you could give us a feel of what it's like, because a socially distanced National Gallery in some ways is a complete pleasure, provided you're the one inside the door. (laughs) I can imagine, for example, with the Titian, you would have expected, I don't know, 200,000 visitors. I don't know. I haven't been to see the Titian yet but you'll only get fifteen or 20,000 now. I mean, it's a pretty, on the one hand, joyful moment to reopen the doors. You must go and see the Titians because this is, you know, for the first time in 400 years, it's a stunning achievement by Gabrielle and the team to get them um, all together. And they are wonderful, wonderful uh, paintings. And it's a pleasure to be in, uh, in looking at them with very, very small uh, numbers. But look, what the, the team are doing, and I think this is right, uh, is saying, look, we'll start off with uh, small numbers. Uh, we'll then work out how uh, it feels in this kind of socially distant world and, and we'll gradually try to get more in. But in truth, as long as there is social distancing, we're never going to get back to the numbers uh, that, that that we would have expected before because, uh, you know, you simply can't. There is one upside, though, um, which is 
you know, you have to uh, check in, as it were, online and get a, get your time and all that and, and uh, to go and see it. And I think um, from the gallery's point of view, being able to use that uh, data from people to be able to tell them more about what the, the gallery is doing uh, and to help to build audiences in the future, I think is going to be uh, a plus, as long as people are happy for their uh, their contacts to be used in that sort of way. Just to show my hobby horse quickly, I'll, Constantino, your, your point about the sort of effectively the guided tour, for some reason I've never adopted the kind of audio tours. I don't quite know why, but I do have this obsession uh, that galleries and museums in some ways they have too much on display and they leave too much to the to the visitor and i i remember i once had lunch with a Hartwig fisher he may have been sounding me out to be a trustee of the british museum but i shot myself in the foot when i said the british museum had too much stuff in it <laughs> <laughs> but, well, but it was I... impossible to kind of know your yeah. way out so i think people find the building quite intimidating and i i have this obsession with a sort of painting from the national gallery being on display in a shopping centre in an informal setting or whatever. And also, given your background in the BBC, you've mentioned data. Presumably the digital aspect of this is is incredibly important. Anyway, I've rambled on too long. Perhaps our guest could actually speak. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for, for allowing me to uh, say a few words, Ed. Um, um, uh, but, well, look, it's, it's one of my hobby horses too. I mean, I hope that... Um, the brilliant team that's running the role, uh, that is running the National Gallery, um, uh, w- will use uh, 2024, which is when the National Gallery is 200 years old, uh, as a way of finding between now and then new ways of opening up uh, the gallery to everyone. One of the things I love about the National Gallery, it's a bit like the British Museum in this sense, that it's been set up uh, and, the, and the verb is to be used by the public. That was the origin of it, to be used by the public. You know, it's for them to use it. And I think that's really, really important. So I think the thing which we need to sort of also, as a, um, all of us try to crack, is this notion of what information can you have that helps you to guide you around an enormous uh, collection, um, uh, be it at the British Museum, be it at the National Gallery or wherever. And I think um, technology is going going our way. The fact we all use mobile phones, the fact that um, augmented uh, reality may help you to give the kind of information you want to explain more about a painting. I think all these things are exciting and things that we've got to 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 build on. I also think, by the way, we've had a painting which has gone out uh, into a doctor's surgery and has been out there uh, going around the country. Again, I think, you know, we need to look at the learning from that and try to get more of what we do out there. So we tr- we, we really are national. I was re- really impressed during the um, Hull City of Culture, whereby the Ferenc Gallery in, in Hull um, had been lent a picture, I think, from the Royal Collection. I think it was a Holbein, if I remember rightly. But they also went out there and bought themselves uh, uh, a new uh, uh, a painting, a Sienese painter, uh, Lorenzetti, which they'd, they'd, they'd gone and bought. And you know, you could sense uh, in Hull when you talk to people, they were kind of proud of the fact they had this gallery, they had, they, they had some uh, important paintings. And by the way, you know, uh, they had something from the Royal Collection, all that, and they'd bought something, you know. And I think these things being out there um, uh, around the country is phenomenally important. And we've got to find uh, new ways of uh, doing what we've started to do um, uh, even more. Ed and I have talked a lot on this podcast about other ways of seeing art. And we've been really impressed by all the, you know, what stately homes are doing to display it and also art uk you know that's allowing people to know about incredible art in these collections and and going through your website i saw that you did tours of uh, longford castle which has you know a, a fantastic collection of
with Poussins and Holbeins and so on. And I just wondered if you were thinking of doing more of that, because that's another way of, you know, going locally to your area and seeing what was there. And the National Gallery could help people kind of unlock all that. I think these are the things we... We, we should be um, talking about Charlotte, which is how can we um, help people to access art and feel um, not just not just informed but inspired by art uh, and and I think um, localities as I was saying with Hull I think that's important um, uh, I think um, we should be looking at the ways of getting more of what we have. Uh, not always things on show out there into the community much more broadly. Um, I also think, um, uh, you know, uh, the BBC has a role here too, and I would say that, wouldn't I? But, um, you know, the reason that I love art, uh, it was goes back to Kenneth Clark and his series Civilization, uh, a great director, by the way, of the National Gallery, and his series Civilization in the 60s, which still has things to, to tell us now. And that made me want to get out there and go to the National Gallery, but also go to places like Abino. Uh, and that's why when I went back to the BBC, I, I commissioned a new series, uh, three um, uh, broadcasters actually talking about civilizations plural. So I think all of these things, which is making art um, accessible is an overused word, but we all know what we mean, but, but uh, available to people and part of their birthright almost. I think anything that helps us to do that, I think uh, we should do. By the way, the other thing which has been fascinating me about the National Gallery is the sheer level of expertise. If you look at the Titian exhibition, for example, one of the things you need to look at are the frames. These frames are made by brilliant people working in the National Gallery who have kind of reframed them to set off the paintings really, really well. And I, I, I don't know, when I was at the Royal Opera House, I, I, I set up a skills academy and, and workshops out at Thurrock in the Thames Gateway because I think people are, are not only interested in the art per se, uh, paintings or opera or ballet, but also how you make it happen, what you do, how you conserve, how you do all these sort of things. And, and I think um, um, g giving people access to that could inspire people as well. I think that's absolutely fascinating what you say about frames, because what you don't know, Tony, and why would you? It's one of my secret hobby horses, because I think, you know, a lot of art dealers don't sell art because it's in the wrong frame. And it's sort of the frame immediately puts it in a in a dusty older century and somehow makes it sort of less accessible so i think that's a brilliant idea to be i can't wait to get to the session now well the national the national gallery once had an exhibition of frames i think when Is that I, right? think, I didn't I know think, that, Is that I, right? think when, I think when nick penny was director yeah, uh, yeah you could go into a gallery which had no pictures and only frames yeah, but what I, what I, I mean, look. Well, in that case, Charlotte, you must come round and see the see 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 the framers. I, I I haven't met them yet, and I want to. I tell you one thing though, which is interesting. So every board meeting um, uh, at the National Gallery starts in the conservation studio, and uh, the board uh, have to approve paintings that are going back to be rehung or paintings that are being um, uh, th th that are going to be restored and what's brilliant about that is I mean I don't know how many board meetings you sit through but starting a board meeting with what it's about the art I think is yes. phenomenally important mm -hmm. and um, uh, you know and I think you know it just reminds you what you're there to do your trustees are something really really important did you start every Royal Opera House board meeting with an aria <laughs> Ed you've obviously not heard my voice otherwise you wouldn't say that um, you must have been asked this question a million times already and it's the most irritating question I can possibly ask you but do you have a favorite painting in the National Gallery <laughs> um i do uh as 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 it happens um and it, it's piero della francesca um and uh it's uh, the baptism of christ 
I know the area around San Sepulcro where he worked uh, amazingly well. Um, there's something about uh, uh, the, the positioning of Christ being baptised. There are kind of strange Byzantine Magi figures behind. There's a walnut tree which of the sort that grows in the upper Tiber uh, Valley. And um, there are three angels. And, and angels often appear in Piero's paintings. Um, and uh, there's a lovely thing that... Uh, uh, Dante, I'm now going to paraphrase Dante horribly, Dante horribly, so forgive me, but says something at the line of men and women uh, talk in words, angels talk with silence. And there's something about these angels and uh, the, the way they communicate with you by a kind of a long stare, which is very deep and very wonderful. And around that San Sepulcro area, there's a, an amazing Piero uh, uh, Madonna di San Egalia in uh, Urbino, which is a, I, I went to Urbino because of really because of Kenneth Clark's programme, and I, I love going back there. There's a fantastic sequence in Arezzo of the True Cross. Uh, a, pre a pregnant Madonna, which is a, a rarity in, in Quattrocento painting, uh, or Italian painting rather, uh, in Monterchi. It's, um, uh, he, he's an extraordinary um, artist, and uh, if I had to pick one, it's probably that. But then I'd also probably go for that extraordinary um, uh, self-portrait by Rembrandt, aged uh, 63, uh, I mean, you could stare in front of, you could stand in front of that and just look at his eyes all day. It's immensely powerful. But look, there's so many other paintings. Um, they really are. Uh, it's a wonder of the uh, National Gallery's collection. I feel a Desert Island Paintings programme coming oh, up. Oh, what a good idea. We could, do it, we could all do it together. That's a great idea. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much, Tony. Great. You are a star. Yeah, thank you. Great, great thank to you talk to you both. On. Take care. That's all for this week. Next week will be our fourth in the series and our last till the autumn when we'll be back after the summer with eight more episodes of Breakout Culture. Next week we'll be telling you about what you can expect from cinemas, operas and theatres over the summer and telling you what the music industry is doing to bring about change. Thank you very much for listening and apologies from both of us if this week was a little bit clunky. We've had tremendous technical problems, some of them hilarious, but thank you very much for bearing with us. See you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>